0: And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. A couple things that I want to talk about first before we get into the passage. Uh, one, for those of you who have not met me know, Travis Cronin did not grow in girth. Uh, I am Tyler. I am the the new student pastor. I took over for Travis back uh, the last week of July. And so I, I've done a, I think I've met pretty much everyone. However, during COVID time, um, which is the season that I came in, I sometimes get confused on who is new and who has been here for 20-30 years. Uh, so, uh, so if you would please just come to me, you know, if you haven't met me, don't worry. You can come up to me and say, "Hey, I'm such and such," you know, insert name here. Uh, I'm new or I'm old. Although that might not sound too well, I've been here for a while. There we go. That's a little bit better. Uh, so uh, please, please come come to me. I- I'd love to meet you uh, and and have interesting conversations. Um, the other thing. I want to mention, and I forgot to put it in the announcements, but tomorrow uh, for our students here in the school district, uh, it is Teacher Planning Day. And so for our youth, we're having just like a fun get-together, hangout time back in the CLC from 3 to 6. So especially you guys, if y'all need to blow off some steam, throw a little basketball, get owned in Halo by me, uh, you know, just come on back. We'll have some fun. I got some, we got chips and, and drinks and just having all kinds of fun and just relax, especially as we... Get done with the first nine weeks of school. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I hope you're already open to Luke chapter thirteen. Luke chapter thirteen. It's important to note that this section of scripture right here, as David said, takes place a little bit after last week's section. So last week uh, and the week before, Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue. He'd been he'd been in the synagogue. He's been teaching, and now he is going out into the villages. He's going out into the towns. And what's really interesting is a lot. A lot of times we happen to think that most of what jesus 's ministry or where it took place excuse me uh, is kind of in the synagogue or, you know, in the temple. We really don't think about the other places. But here we see that Jesus is actually out in the villages in Judea. And not only did he go into Judea, but he also went to Samaria, right? And and we talked about, you know, you have the Samaritan woman at the well uh, that we all uh, know well. And so uh, we see that Jesus not only just goes to Judea, but also goes to Samaria. He goes to all of what was considered to be Israel uh, before the king broke up. And he goes preaching this message, the same message that we see from Luke chapter four, verse four, "The need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And so as we look to this passage, we must recall that Jesus is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience. He's still in Judea. He is traveling around and notice how, in verse 22, he, uh, Luke introduces this text, He says, he was journeying toward Jerusalem. Now that's kind of interesting. Luke always uses that refrain, towards Jerusalem. Every time you see Jesus teaching, he's going in direction, he is going toward Jerusalem. We must ask the question then, why that phrase? And that phrase is there for one simple reason. Because the bulk of what Jesus was going to do for us was on the cross of Christ. Everything is going towards the cross. The cross did not come up as as an afterthought. The cross was not plan B. The cross was plan A. And so as Jesus is journeying through the villages here, He is here to preach the gospel. He is here to show that indeed the, the Jews are wrong, they're incorrect in their legalism. And that He is there to die for them. Now they don't really get to realize that until after the resurrection, but that is still why he is here. And so today we're going to be looking at this section of scripture, and I, I've entitled this, Strive for the Narrow Door. And we're going to really pay attention to that word, strive. I think that term strive, is it permeates this entire section right here. And the first couple verses, we're going to look at are verses 20 through to 24. And my first point here, is strive against, Sin. Strive against sin. Let's start in verse 22. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I will tell you, or many, I tell you, will seek. To enter and will not be able. So notice, so Jesus is journeying through the villages. He's outside of the synagogue. He's talking to the common folk, right? He's not talking to the Pharisees or Sadducees or some of these who are in ruling authority. But instead, he is journeying through the everyday villages of Judea. He is journeying through Wakulla County. Might might not be here in Crawfordville, but perhaps going to my neck of the woods in Panacea. Perhaps even those who are a little bit out there in Sopchoppy, Maybe even those who are really remote, like like Smith Creek. Jesus is journeying everywhere and is sharing the gospel. And notice that he has a question presented to him. This question is found in verse 23. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now this is a question that for us, after reading uh, through this passage, as we've been going through, as Dave has been going through so well, we had ver- uh, chapter 12, verse 49 earlier, that Jesus says that he brings division. But you have to understand that this question, even though we think it's weird, that it's brought up here because we go, well, wait a minute, Jesus talked about division only a chapter before. You have to remember, this is going against the culture of his time. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees and the Sadducees both taught that for anyone who was in Israel, the the family, the genetic line of Israel, the Jewish people, they would have a foothold in the kingdom of God no matter what. And so here Jesus is coming and he's saying, no, the gospel is going to divide father against son, mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, although I think that one probably appeared before the gospel. Um, but, <laughs> that's right, uh, but we do see that the gospel is going to bring division. And so when these, these Jewish people who have heard all of their life and for hundreds of years before hear this, they go, well, wait a minute, Jesus. This doesn't sound exactly like we've always been taught. Indeed, the Sanhedrin tells us that all who are found in the lineage of Israel, all who are found in the lineage of Abraham, in the house of Abraham, are going to take part in the kingdom, no matter what happens. And so, Jesus is asked this question, and probably asked this because they know the answer. Will those who are saved be few? And notice what Jesus says. He says, and he said to them, verse 24, Strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door. So notice that Jesus automatically reacts to this question. You know a lot of times we think that because he didn't say yes or no that he doesn't answer the question, but in fact he does. He says strive through what? The narrow door, the way of the Pharisees, the way of the Sanhedrin was a wide, welcoming door for all of Israel, no matter if they had sinned or if they had not. Instead, we see here that Jesus says that this pathway that you are to walk through is a narrow door. But notice the verb that he uses. He uses the verb strive. 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 We must ask the question then, what is this word strive? If you watched Florida football yesterday, it is the exact opposite of Florida's defense. Oh man, we got, we got, to, keep, we got to start laughing now. It's, it's 11.30 in the morning. Yeah, that's right. You can laugh at that. That's fine. I'm a Florida fan. Uh, so uh, yeah, but striving is something that Florida's defense did not do yesterday in allowing 500 plus yards. You see, to strive after something... The term strive here means to work with intense effort. In other words, it's not just simply saying you're going to do something and then gradually going that way. To strive means you are going to earn it. To strive means that you will gain grasp of it. To strive means that you put everything into it in order to obtain whatever it is the ultimate goal is. To strive means to work hard. And so when we look at this word, we look at this verb here, and it says strive to enter through the narrow door. I think a lot of times we can get confused at this, right? Sometimes people begin to think of, you know, well what exactly does this passage right here mean? And they don't take into context other passages, uh, uh, not just surrounding this, this verse, but also other passages that this word is involved in. And so they look at this and they say, well, strive through the narrow door could mean that we need to strive to continue to gain our salvation. And I, I want to push back against that. And the reason why is back down in verse 27, just a few verses afterwards. He says, uh, but, uh, but I will say... I tell you, I do not know where you came from. In in other words, these people who are not striving after the narrow door, Jesus says below, below, I did not ever know who you were. This wasn't a, hey, I knew you, but then I forgot you, and then I remembered you again, you know, kind of like, oh yeah, Eric, there he is. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I never knew you. But... I want to look at another passage that uses this word. A lot of times the easiest way to figure out what a word means is to look at other passages in which this word is found. And I want to give you a, or get your attention to Hebrews chapter 12. I don't have this on the, the screen. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 3 through 4. I'm going to read this for you. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your, term here, strife or struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Notice here that the author of Hebrews uses this same term, strive, but in discussing striving against sin. And indeed, if you look through other passages, you see that a lot of times this word strive here is used against or when speaking of one working against one's sin. In other words, one trying to rid themselves of their sin. And so now that we look back at this passage, we see strive for the narrow door. When he says the word strive right here, what is he talking about? He is saying, we must continue... In the journey, continue in the work of ridding ourselves of sin, to strive through the narrow door. Now this is in contrast with the belief of the Pharisees, right? We just mentioned a while ago the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, uh, had all taught that wide and open was the way for the Jew. In other words, as long as you were within the genetic lineage, you were always going to take part of the the kingdom of God, no matter uh, if you truly believed or if you didn't. Did not. But here Jesus says, no, this is not. And we must understand this in the context of what we've been learning for the past few weeks. Brother David has so eloquently talked about how legalism or empty religion ultimately leads to hell. That legalism, uh, empty religion, ultimately leads to hell. And so, when we see that that what the wide and and great path that everybody will walk on is generally a path that welcomes everyone. And, And even this, a path that we ourselves invent for our own righteousness. You see, the narrow door is one of repentance. The wide door is one of work. The narrow door is one of repentance. The wide door is one of work. And especially when we're talking about the Pharisees here, right? And thinking about the context of this passage. The Pharisees were legalistic. They were, one, they were, they were a people who had multiple laws to the point that on the Sabbath you were not allowed to go, I think it was 1.2 miles away from your house. In other words, it was, otherwise it was considered to be work. We talk about the Sanhedrin, and you had to make sure that you worshiped a, a specific way in order to gain temple or entrance into the temple. This was a culture that was dominated by legalism. Now, when we look at what Jesus is being asked here, basically he is being asked, Do we go against the Pharisees? Do we go against this legalism? And Jesus says, Yes. Strive. Through the narrow door. And really if we think about it. We always discuss the Pharisees in, in a bad connotation. and Say they, legalists, are awful. But let's face it. Probably in most of our hearts legalism reigns supreme. A lot of times we're having to try to shed ourselves of our legalistic tendencies. It's very easy to judge someone according to our standards than to look at someone with God's forgiveness. It is very easy to judge someone according to our standards and not allow the grace of God onto someone from our perspective. And so when we look at the Pharisees at this time, when we look at the Sadducees, when we look at the Jewish people at this time, this was a culture that was bound by external human law placed on someone in order to gain some sort of righteous behavior. And what Jesus is coming here and saying, in this term, strive, is saying that no, it is not simply just working. It is yearning, continuing, struggling against our own sin. It is repentance. Now when we look at that term, repentance, we have to try to understand what exactly does repentance mean. A lot of times, we uh, in fact, I've, I've heard multiple times people say, well, I've repented once, but I don't really need to repent again. But in fact, when we look at the, the passage here in Hebrews, notice that he says that we continue to struggle against our sin He says, consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against him. In other words, we continue to struggle in our sin. We continue to strive against our sin. But we strive because of him who has already struggled for us. In other words, it's it's because of the cross of Christ that we are able to gain the narrow door. It is because of what Jesus did that we are able to obtain this narrow pathway. It is not through our own set of standards that we place upon ourselves. But it is through the blood and the cross of Christ that we have favor with God. And so I I want to mention this before we go on about repentance. Repentance is something that we constantly do because we are constantly struggling with sin. If we look at Psalm uh, 51, we see David, a man after God's own heart. A man who had found favor in the eyes of the Lord, who was made king. In Psalm 51, we find him broken. Why? Because David sinned greatly. If you're, not, if you're not sure of Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is a passage of which David is writing and is basically begging for forgiveness. This takes place right after the Bathsheba narrative where David has an affair with Bathsheba and in order to cover it up has her husband murdered, marries Bathsheba in order for everything to be, at least on the outside, appear right. Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and confronts him with his sin. And then David writes Psalm 51. And what's interesting about Psalm 51 is that even though David had killed Uriah, had defiled Bathsheba, David in Psalm 51 says to the Lord, David saying to the Lord, Against you and you alone have I sinned. Now we look at that and we say, well, why is that? Did David not sin against Uriah? Did David not sin against Bathsheba? Absolutely they did. But ultimately, David's sin against Uriah and Bathsheba were not accounted to him because of Bathsheba and Uriah, but because he had sinned against a holy God. And it's, it's the sin against the holy God that he is in need of repentance because he has missed the mark that the Lord had placed upon all of us. And so when he repents of his sin, ultimately notice that his sin is against God. Ladies, gentlemen, students, my son, how many times do we sin against one another and yet leave it unsaid? Repentance, though it might seem to be the easiest thing, is much harder than our legalistic tendencies. Because to repent is to acknowledge that we are wrong. To be legalist is to acknowledge that we are right. Repentance is... It's tough. I love to tell this story to my students, I, and I know this is online, and I know this guy I'm going to talk about doesn't pay attention, so I, I know I'm safe. Um, but uh, uh, whenever I was in seminary uh, up in North Carolina, there was a guy who was in my small group uh, at church. This guy, his name was Logan. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, For those of you who are listening, i pointed to Logan Elmore down here. Uh, But, uh, (laughs) no, but Logan was the exact opposite of me. I'm a, you know, recluse kind of, I sit in the background, look and kind of see study. You know, if you will, uh, my surroundings, everybody, uh, everything that goes around, and Logan was this guy who just didn't have a care in the world, who would carry his guitar and just walk to the quad at the campus and just start serenading it like like one of the uh, the, uh, the the myriads from uh, the Odyssey trying to reel in his prey, you know, with the ladies, and and I could not stand that. One because he thought he was God's gift to God's gift to women, uh, and I. Know no, that wasn't right. Am I right? Michelle, that's right. Uh, and so, uh, but two, it just always rubbed me the wrong way. And I just, I couldn't stand it. And so one day I got convicted that I did not love Logan. He's a brother in Christ. He was within my small groups, not just within the church, but within a more intimate setting uh, within my church And I couldn't stand him, and so I started looking out and trying to see, like, if there are qualities that he liked. I'd go up to him and say, "Hey, man, did you catch the latest episode of The Office?" "Nope, don't like The Office." Which I went, "Are you kidding me?" I was like, "Okay, you know, what about Battlestar Galactica?" "Nope," which I know is a little bit more extreme, but there's a few of us. And then I, you know, it's like, "Well, what about Star Wars?" You know, which is your favorite Star Wars movie? And he said, "Oh, I've never seen Star Wars or Indiana Jones for that matter." And I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, you're, you're going to have to help me love this guy. I see no redeemable qualities <laughs> in him. He I mean, doesn't even like Indiana Jones. Is he truly an American? <laughs> and so I began to pray, Lord, give me a love like you do after him. The next day, I ended up eating my words because... The next day was our small group, got the small group. And they said, by the way, we're breaking up our accountability partners that we've had for the past year and a half. And they said, Tyler, you, Logan, and the small group leader are all going to be accountable for, for, y'all, for each other's sin. And I went, oh my goodness. This is going to be challenging. And for that time, I'll, I'll tell you this. I learned what it meant to love God with the gospel. It wasn't that me and Logan became best friends. It wasn't that me and Logan all of a sudden started hanging out buddy buddy. But Be- I began to seek what would cause him to grow. I began to seek for him the things that would bring him uh, a blessing, things that would begin to enrich his walk with Christ. I began to pray and seek him out whenever I saw him uh, in order to make sure that he was continuing uh, in righteousness. In other words, I began to love him just as... Christ loves us. Now, was I perfect 100% of the time? No. There were, especially those first probably two months, I just said, Lord, you've got to help me, you got to help me, you got to help me. But at the same time, it was through that that I began to understand that I had sinned against Logan. And I actually went up to him probably about four months in because I I'd recognized that I had sinned against Logan. And I said, hey man, you know, I just I just need to come to you right now. I don't know if you've seen this, but... But I have sinned. I've I've really just held this this disgruntlement towards you and, and 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 I I I I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And Logan looked at me and said, Really? He said, I never noticed it. But at the same time, it wasn't the sin that I committed, it wasn't it wasn't for me to repent because of what he saw. It was for me to repent because I was in sin against a holy God. And my relationship with the Lord had taken a turn because of it. Guys, we need to be a people of repentance, even when that repentance is tough, because that's especially why this pathway is narrow. If it was easy, Jesus would say, journey along on the wide and open path. But instead, he says, strive for the narrow path. Second point, I know you're probably looking like there's ten minutes left. There's two points. This was the big one. We're going we're to go quickly through the other two. Second point, legalism, or empty religion, leads away from the master. We look at verse 25, and Jesus says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I did not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. So notice this, that these people who think that they are on this pathway to redemption, they think they're on this pathway to the kingdom of God, indeed the master of the house will close the door and they will be left outside. Now what's interesting is this, Jesus says this term master. He's actually speaking in third person singular here. And, And the reason why is because notice what they say. They say, you... Taught us, you ate with us, you were in our streets. here Jesus, remember at the beginning of this section says or the, the passage says that Jesus was going and teaching in the villages, he's going and teaching in the streets. In other words, the master right here is Jesus, and Jesus right here is saying, unless you go, unless you strive on this narrow path, you will be shut out. And you'll be left on the, the outside saying, Well, didn't you eat with us? Didn't you drink with us? But notice what Jesus says. He says, I, uh, He says, But I will tell you, I do not know where you came from. That term gnosko right there is a term meaning to have ultimate knowledge, to have full knowledge of who one is. It's, this isn't just a acquaintance knowledge, like I know of Jesus. This is an I know Christ. And so what Jesus is saying right here is that while you might be on this path of legalism, while you might be on this path where outwardly you're doing everything right, ultimately, you will not be let in. Why? Because you are not striving for the narrow path. And so, we get to verse 3. What does strive, or the, excuse me, not verse 3, the third point. What does striving for the narrow path lead to? The striving for the narrow path means that we will be able to recline in the kingdom of God. Notice what he says, verse 28. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold... Some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Notice what he says. These people shut out from the house... They will be in a place of torment, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you ever heard somebody say to you that Jesus never spoke of hell, I don't know what other place this could be talking about right here. This is a place of immense sorrow and immense pain. In other words, the people who are on the wide, easy path, the people who are on this legalistic path, ultimately will be shut out. And notice The verbiage used to describe those who are at the table of the kingdom of God. Notice what it says. It says, uh, excuse me, uh, 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 let me get back to it, I lost my place. It says, in in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of Israel, and you yourselves will be cast out, verse 29, and the people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Notice that it is the people who strive are now the people who will be able to recline. Notice it's the people who struggle against sin will now be able to rest within the kingdom secured by the blood of Jesus. In other words, true rest cannot be found in our legalistic tendencies. True rest can only come from the cross of Christ. True rest will only come through our struggle against our sin. True rest will only come because we repent. And notice what Jesus says. He's, remember, talking to a Jewish audience. He says, And people will come from the east and west, from the north and south, and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. Indeed, even before that, he says, You will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves will be cast out. In other words, he's telling these legalists that have been told all their life that they will gain entry because they are within the, the genetic you know, jackpot of being Jewish. Instead, we see that they are cast out and the very people that they held hatred against the Gentiles, the Samaritans, will indeed be the ones who will be at the kingdom of God. They will be reclining at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets. Think of all of the heroes of the Old Testament. You will not be able to see them, is what Jesus is saying. Unless we strive for the narrow path. Unless we strive for the narrow way. Then he says, And some who are last will be first. And some who are first will be last. This is not just a way to make sure you get to the front of the cafeteria line if you end up in the back. Instead, these people who thought that they were the first to enter the kingdom of God whenever the kingdom of God comes will find themselves at the very back. And those who they thought would be at the very back, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, us, will find ourselves reclining at the table. Why? Because we strove against our sin Because we strove for the narrow path So as we close today, I want to ask two questions I want to ask two questions the first question is for the Christian if you are a believer in Christ today My question to you is this are you continuing? striving for the narrow path are you continuing striving against your sin because this is not just a weekly struggle, a monthly struggle, or even a every four-year election struggle. This is a daily, an hourly, a minute, a secondly struggle. Are you struggling against your sin? If you are, remember what Hebrews tells us, that we are able to, uh, to, to en- endure such because of Christ. If you are not a Christian... I'm want to ask you this question why do you continue to go on the wide path that ultimately you know leads to nowhere when we look at our world today we see many philosophies that are brought up many philosophies that tell us that we're going to be fulfilled ultimately whether it be you know, the promises of future technology. Me as a nerd, that's, that's one that gets me. Perhaps it could be a philosophy if we can only gain world peace, whatever that means. You know, perhaps it's, you know, make sure that, that if I just have everything right here in the country right for my children and grandchildren, then I will be okay. But ultimately what happens It all gets broken up. There's always another issue that pops up. And ultimately, you see yourself striving and yearning for something that will never come about. Why? Because you are unable to bring hope. Instead, let me offer to you the cross of Christ. That while we were enemies of God, while we were in sin... God loved us so much that he sent Jesus down in order to gain salvation for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, what I offer to you is the only hope that can be found in this world, and that is the hope of the gospel. So we're going to have a time of reflection we're going to have a time uh, of, of just reflecting on this passage, reflecting on our sin, reflecting on our paths. Now I want you to think about one of those two questions. If you would like to join the church, or if you have something that you know, perhaps uh, uh, you would like to share, uh, you can meet me or Brother Dave down here at the front. We'll be right here for you. But do not leave this place until we recognize our sin in its rightful place. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we praise You, we honor You, we thank You for allowing us to be here. Father, we praise You for Your Word. That though, Father, the Word of God can be hard on our ears and on our hearts, Lord, we know that ultimately it is the only thing that brings hope. Father, I pray that you give us strength as we continue to strive against sin. Father, it's hard. And especially at a time like this where we have a lot of excuses in order to, to keep in our sin. Father, I pray that you would give us the desire to go against. Father, I pray that you'd put people in our lives to help us. Stay against our sin. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.